As you've heard on today's show, Polly Murray was an extremely accomplished person. And that continued to be the case even into Murray's golden years. In 1977, Murray became the first African-American woman ordained as an Episcopal priest. One month later, Murray celebrated Eucharist at the church in Chapel Hill, where Murray's grandmother and great-aunt had attended. Producer Ramona Martinez picks up the story from there. Everyone in attendance at Chapel of the Cross that Sunday understood that this was a homecoming and an extremely poignant moment in, well, history. Polly Murray read the gospel from a 19th century Bible that belonged to Cornelia Fitzgerald, Murray's grandmother. It was a gift from the people who enslaved her. They brought Cornelia to be baptized at the church in 1854, free in the eyes of God, but recorded as a slave in the church records. The fact that Murray was presiding over a service at all was testament to the power of faith, and in more ways than one. When Murray entered seminary at the age of 62, women were not permitted to be priests in the Episcopal Church. Whether or not you're a priest is between you and God. God calls you. The church may or may not recognize that. Kelly Brown Douglas is the dean of the Episcopal Divinity School at Union Theological Seminary in New York. So it seems to me that for Pauli Murray, uh, whether or not at this point the church recognized that call, she could do no other but to begin to live into it and to pursue uh, that aspect of herself. Douglas says that long before seminary, Murray was an active participant at Episcopal conventions, fighting for women's ordination and equality in Black ministry. During the church's 1969 annual fundraising campaign, Murray wrote that asking women to support the church financially was like taxation without representation. I knew her as a rebel in the church uh, who indeed fought for the equality of women, just as she, of course, uh, fought for the equality of women uh, in civil society. So she was uh, a loud voice. and a rebel, and she tried to open the law canons of the church up. Polly Murray entered seminary three years after the governing body of the Episcopal Church voted down women's ordination, and four years before they'd approve it. But Murray didn't seek ordination simply to prove a point. From earliest childhood, I have always been a part of the church. There have been times when I have left it but I have always more or less been in some way involved with the church. Raised in a church-going family, Murray was confirmed at age nine by Henry Beard Delaney, one of the first black Episcopal bishops in the United States. Later, when Delaney was on his deathbed, he pronounced that young Polly Murray was a child of destiny. Murray's life bore out that prophecy immense contributions to civil rights and the fight for equity are proof of that. But racism and sexism remained unvanquished in 1973, and Murray began to consider these problems in a different way. Basically, all of these problems of human rights in which I had been involved for most of my adult life 
sex, race, all of the, the, the problems of human rights, that basically these were moral and spiritual problems. That we had reached a point where law could not give us the answers. Marie believed America and the world was suffering because it had not reconciled itself in the spiritual realm. I begin to realize that universally, all of mankind is constantly falling down from these high ideals which we have set. <laughs> that racism and sexism are actually sins, the sickness of sin. That human beings are not really in, in harmony, in relationship to, to their creator. And since they are not, they are not able to be in harmony and relationship and to love, to respect uh, their neighbor. She really believed that faith meant partnering with God and mending the earth and mending the world from that which divided people one from another and hence from God. And that's the work she did. Dean Douglas says that becoming a priest was a natural extension of Murray's work towards justice. When we look at her life through the lens of who she was as a priest, we get, see that it was a journey that she was on throughout her life. It seemed to me that it came out in my writings. It came out in my speeches. It came out in my rather steadfast uh, devotion to the notion of reconciliation as well as liberation. And I asked myself, what do you want to do with the time you have left? And this seemed to be the answer. Polly Murray's theology, like Murray, is not what you'd expect. Many would suggest that Polly Murray was a proto-womanist theologian, that is, someone who was really talking about this theology that has emerged from the intersecting realities of what it means to be Black and female. Exposed to sexism in the Black power movement and racism in the feminist movement, Murray rejected and was suspicious of categorization, often because no category was completely inclusive. Polly Murray was before her time as a queer theologian, queering the boundaries of human constructs that did not allow us to appreciate the diversity of God's creation. Murray's main goal was the reconciliation of humanity. And I think her whole theology flowed from who she was and how she tried to reconcile her own being and felt that she was living in a world that didn't allow her the room to be herself. And for her, that's what reconciliation, I think, was all about, if we understand it from uh, the inside out for Polly Murray. Um, she was trying to create a world where she could be.
Before Polly Murray gave the sermon that Sunday in Chapel Hill, the congregants sang, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Murray told the congregation, Those of you who are as old as I am will remember that that was the funeral hymn of Franklin D. Roosevelt, and it was the funeral hymn of my best friend, whose death was the catalytic agent that sent me into the ordained ministry. That friend was Renee Barlow, Murray's companion who had died from cancer the year Murray entered seminary. As Barlow was dying, Murray stood by her bed, reading the 23rd Psalm. Murray would later write, R, by her life, her love, her example, and her death, pointed me towards this road. That Sunday, Murray preached, True community is a struggle. We may not live to see its victories, but struggle on we must. This, to me, is the most remarkable thing about Polly Murray's faith. How could someone believe America could live up to its values when they had spent a lifetime witnessing its blatant hypocrisy? When I think of Polly Murray, I think of the fact that, wow, this woman never lost her hope. Dean Douglas says that faith in the possibility of a better world is what kept Murray going. And she never, to the bitter end, lost her hope in a world that would indeed allow for all of God's diverse creation and all of their rich complexity and intersectionalities uh, to live into the fullness of who they were. And so I think of Pauli Murray and I see for myself and say to myself, nope, no matter even in this current situation and climate in which we find ourselves in, you never have an excuse or reason to give up hope. That piece was produced by Ramona Martinez. Special thanks to Dean Kelly Douglas and Sarah Azaransky, whose book on Pauli Murray, The Dream is Freedom, informed the segment. We're going to end this week's episode with one last poem written by Pauli Murray, who died in 1985. Here is Murray reciting the final verses of Dark Testament. Then let the dream linger on. Let it be the test of nations. Let it be the quest of all our days. The fevered pounding of our blood, the measure of our souls, that none shall rest in any land 
and none return to dreamless sleep, no heart be quieted, no tongue be stilled, until the final man may stand in any place and thrust his shoulders to the sky, friend and brother to every other man. <laughs>